0: coffee spooky season. It's October, or should I say, October. I'm Kim, and for the next four weeks, the frogs are taking a back seat. Because this month, it's all about the toads, baby. But before we dive in, first we need to know, what is the difference between a frog and a toad? we sat down with an amphibian expert, Dr. Anat Bellison, to answer that age-old question.
1: I'm joined today by Dr. Anat Bellison. She has a PhD in ecology and evolutionary biology and a postdoctorate in conservation biology. She's currently doing another postdoc in biology at Cornell and her research focuses on amphibian disease susceptibility and conservation genetics. Dr. Bellison, we're so grateful to have you on Frog of the Week. Tell us a bit about yourself and your research.
2: Yeah. So um, I identify as a conservation scientist, um, but my training is really in ecology and evolutionary biology. Um, I sort of started out as a starry-eyed undergrad who wanted to save all the animals. And then I started working in a research lab and I fell in love with research and how it's really about chasing your curiosities. Um, I learned a lot about Uh, how research can be applied to conservation and management in my undergrad. And then I went and did a master's at University of Michigan where I studied climate change impacts on lizards. Um, And then I went and did a Ph.D. in a different department at Michigan where um, I did a lot of fieldwork in southeastern Brazil, Uh, collecting samples to kind of understand how habitat fragmentation and land use intensification has affected um, diverse amphibian communities in Brazil. I did a lot of collaboration with local Brazilian uh, biologists And I learned a lot about uh, frogs, which I've always loved uh, since I was a little kid catching tadpoles in the pond near my parents' house. But I I learned so much about sort of the challenges that amphibians can face in the wild and um, the ways of getting information that can help with conservation.
1: So sort of an understatement to say that you're overqualified to answer this question. But uh, what brings us here today, what we really want to know, what is the difference between a frog and a toad?
2: Yeah. So I think, you know, I'm a scientist and so I tend to overanalyze things. And I when I was thinking about this question, I thought about the different ways that you can possibly answer this question. I think a lot of the time when I'm talking to someone who's not a scientist, I'll rely on morphology and ecology or what the animal looks like and what it does in the environment. And so from a morphology and ecology standpoint, uh, frogs and toads generally look really different. So um, this also depends on where you are. So I'm going to come from the perspective of being in the northeastern United States. Uh, This is probably pretty applicable across the United States and for most of North America. Um, But when you get down into South America, into the tropics and other places um, around the world, these rules will not hold. Um, So I'll just stick with what I know, what I see in my everyday life, and maybe what a lot of your listeners. And so um, frogs can either be aquatic, which means that we see them living in ponds, we see them living in streams, or they can be arboreal, which means we see them living in trees. Um, And so you'll see either a pond frog that looks kind of like a bullfrog. They're really designed for swimming and jumping. Um, And then you'll also see tree frogs, which are designed for climbing. And I say designed for, which is really a scientific (laughs) faux pas, but, you know, like they, you know, they have all the characteristics that help them do that effectively, right? And so um, tree frogs will have these really big, adorable toe pads um, that allow them to climb really easily and kind of stick to surfaces, stick to tree trunks versus toads tend to live more in the terrestrial environment. So they really only go into bodies of water to breed in the springtime. And generally you just find them on the forest floor or in your yard, hopping around on little stout legs. Uh, I like to tell people that toads look like grumpy little football players. Like their arms are kind of stout and look muscular Mm -hmm. and they have these big frowns on their faces. (laughs) Um, So if it looks really frowny, it's probably a toad. If it has a big smile, it's probably a tree frog. And then the other way that you can kind of answer this question is by thinking about phylogenetics, which is the way that um, evolutionary biologists understand animals or organisms to be related to each other. And so you might remember learning back in grade school, kingdom phylum, class order, family genus species, King Philip came over for a good spaghetti. Um, <laughs> so uh, the family Bufonidae is the family of true toads. And so So if it's in the family Bufonidae, we tend to call it a toad. There are exceptions to that. There are exceptions to the morphology and the ecology. There are exceptions to the phylogenetics. Um, And so, you know, you have spadefoot toads and firebelly toads that are not in the toad family Bufonidae, but we still call them toads. And they happen to have kind of different ecologies also. So basically, long story short, it's a little bit complicated, but most of the time, if it looks really grumpy, it's a toad. I, I
1: love that as a, as a tool for separating one from the other. is it Is it really just a matter of naming as opposed to scientific differences aside from obviously the the phylogenetic classification of true toads?
2: Yeah, so um there are some species that are called toads that are not in the toad family, and I think that it's because they, Resemble bufonid toads. Mm. They also happen to be kind of bumpy. Uh, but for instance, fire-bellied toads, which are in a completely different family, and they're even in a completely different suborder. So they're in this group called the Archaeobatrachia. They're like this really primitive, quote unquote, group of amphibians, um, more early diverging in evolutionary Mm. time. And they're actually fully aquatic or mostly aquatic. So they'll go on land a little bit. So they're they're not only not in the toad family, but they're also not fully terrestrial like a lot of toads.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's just based on appearance that we call them toads.
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't really I don't really know for sure, but I think that's probably why. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so is it correct to say that all toads are frogs, but not all frogs are toads? Or is it more distinct than that?
2: Yeah, so I tell people that I think it's kind of like all squares are rectangles, but not, mm-hmm. not all rectangles are squares. It depends on who's defining what the most general reference term is. And so like in English and in North America, at least we tend to refer to all of the amphibians that don't have a tail as frogs, and then one group of frogs as toads. But for instance, in Brazil, where I did my PhD work, their general term to talk about that group of amphibians is sapos, which means toads, if you translate it. And so really we're oh, calling right. everything toads as the frame of reference. But generally, yeah, around here, I think it holds that all toads are frogs, but not all frogs are toads in the vernacular. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. So... Uh- When, as kids, we hear things like, oh, frogs have slimy skin, but toads have like bumpy or warty skin. Um, Is that generally true? Is it kind of something that we might reference in in terms of whether we decide to call something a frog or a toad? Or is that
2: always true? It's not always true. So in in biology, in nature, things are rarely always true. Um, There's usually a lot of exceptions. But generally, if you see some kind of amphibian, large amphibian breeding in a pond and it's not a salamander and (laughs) it's bumpy, it's going to be a toad. If it's more slimy, it's going to be a frog. The issue is that some tree frogs are pretty dry and bumpy. And so if you just use that as your only characteristic, Mm -hmm. you would misdiagnose a tree frog as a toad. Um, But generally around here, yeah, I think that that rule holds. Again, you know, there are exceptions, like for instance, there are these actually these really cool arboreal toads that you can find in south america the genus is Dendrophryniscus, and they have pretty smooth skin i guess they have bumps if you look really closely but they actually climb trees and they breed in iliads so they're really different than the toads you see around here so they they break a lot of the toad rules interesting
1: each episode of frog of the week i highlight a species of frog and i explain why i like that frog as an amphibian expert and in the spirit of october what is your favorite toad and why do you like that toad
2: yeah so i'm gonna be kind of basic and say the american toad it is a classic it's a really good species um you find them really often in eastern forests um, in the u.s and A lot of people might think of them as being kind of brown and boring, but actually if you look closely, um, sometimes they'll have little patches of red, they'll have modeling, they'll be a little bit green, they'll have sort of a bronze background. And I just think they're really, really cute at any size. So when they're first metamorphose they're really tiny and kind of like long and lanky and then when they're juveniles they tend to be kind of almost spherical which is ridiculously adorable um and then as adults i mean they're just they're just a classic toad they're really great they make these tiny little hops which are adorable yeah so i love them awesome
1: So finally, given your area of expertise, uh, I I had to ask, you know, something that we have learned in the course of of doing this podcast is that amphibian species worldwide face all kinds of threats. climate change, habitat loss, disease. For, you know, the average person who just really loves frogs and toads and and wants to do what they can to help support frog and toad populations and other amphibians, how can they do that? Do you have any recommendations for um, things we can do in our daily lives or uh, organizations or uh, causes we can support that would help?
2: Yeah, so I have three major suggestions The first one is that if you're a gardener, you can plant native plants in your garden. And this does a lot of important things. So it attracts native insects and pollinators, which is great for the ecosystem. And anything that benefits the ecosystem will benefit amphibians. Um, It also could provide food for toads if you attract native insects to your garden and the other thing is that native plants are adapted to thrive in the local environment and so you don't need to use fertilizers or insecticides and those are chemicals that amphibians are really sensitive to and so limiting use of those chemicals can benefit amphibian populations. You can also stick a little upside down pot out in your garden as a toad house and they'll use it Mm. for protection especially if it's like a terracotta pot that has a little chunk then they can get in and out through the doorway. It's very adorable when this happens. If you are a coffee drinker and you can afford it, I would recommend um, trying to only purchase shade-grown coffee. And so, um, one of the biggest contributors to biodiversity loss in the tropics, where most of the amphibian diversity is globally, is destruction of rainforest for industrialized intensive coffee production. Um, But there are also more rustic, traditional, indigenous ways of growing coffee. In a shade coffee farm, there will be a canopy of either natural trees um, that you would find in the rainforest or fruit trees. And that kind of environment can support biodiversity, whereas in an industrial coffee farm, you tend not to find much diversity, amphibians are really sensitive to those conditions. And so if you buy shade coffee, especially from small family owned farms, you can really support amphibian diversity in the tropics. Um, And then the last thing is to vote. Um, So make sure that you vote, especially in local elections for um, representatives who really care about the environment, who want to protect the integrity of ecosystems, not necessarily by setting aside ecosystems, but by promoting sort of um, practices in the community that will support the integrity of ecosystems for amphibians. That's not only good for amphibians, but it's also good for people, especially marginalized people in your local community. And so vote because you can help toads and also people. So those are (laughs) my three tips for supporting amphibians. Thank
1: you so much. Those are like really actionable, all of them. I really appreciate that. So, that's all I've got for you. Thank you so much for joining us. If someone wanted to follow your research or you know follow you on, on social media, uh, where can they find you? And uh, is there anything else you'd like to promote while we have you?
2: Yeah, um, so my Twitter account is Anatlovesfrogs, A-N-A-T, loves frogs. Um, that's also my Instagram handle. And so feel free to follow me on there. I generally, well, I haven't been super active lately, but I try to post updates about my research and post pretty frog pictures
1: all right well thank you so much uh, we really appreciate it uh hope you have a wonderful
0: october same to you and that's the difference between a frog and a toad thank you again to dr anat bellison for her expert toad spotting advice photos of dr bellison's favorite toad will be posted on our twitter at weekly frog pod and linked in the show notes thanks for joining us See you next week.